Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode 10 of the Locust and Honey podcast. Join us as we discuss biblical sexuality and gender. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And today we've got a great episode lined up. This is true. Where did Um, this episode come from? Well, it came from the recent events going on up in Canada. Oh, Canada, eh? Canada, eh? You like maple syrup, eh? I do. I do, too. So I've been to Canada. Have you ever been to Canada? No. So I was up in... they, They never told me I was pronouncing it right. I originally called it Newfoundland. And when I got up there, they were like, no, it's Newfoundland. Newfoundland. And I would say uh. Newfoundland. They're like, no. And so I would just say it a whole bunch of different ways. And I, ne- <laughs> I never, they never said I pronounced it right. So if we have anybody from Newfoundland in the house, I'm sorry for butchering how to pronounce Newfoundland. <laughs> but it was very cold yeah. up there. And uh, that has nothing to do with this episode. <laughs> the fact that it was cold. Speaking <laughs> of nothing to do with this episode, see, we didn't use a pithy title, so I've got tons of brain energy for transitions today. So speaking of nothing to do with the episode, Andrew, what doth thou be into this morrow? Well, I am into a couple things. I am into our Georgia Bulldogs. Why are you into the Bulldogs today? I'm into the Bulldogs because they, on Monday night, did what everybody in Georgia thought was impossible, won the national championship in beating Alabama. Collectively, did we beat them the sentiment amongst Dog Nation was probably an impossible thing, but it is possible because it happened. That's true. Yeah. I I thought we were going to win the SEC championship, and then we got spanked, and yeah. I was very let down, but I had no reservations going into this game, and it, we were going to win it. I felt better than I did before the SEC championship. For some reason, before the SEC championship, I just had a gut feeling. I was like, you know, <laughs> this could be a trap game yeah. because they had already secured the playoff, and Alabama was going to play out of their minds because they were fighting for their lives, and so I was like, eee. But before yeah. this national championship game, I was like, something crazy could happen tonight. And something it did. could happen. So, all right. So you're into the Bulldogs. Into the Bulldogs. Uh, what about all of our fans that are not Bulldogs fans? Well, do you still love them? I do. I oh. do. Um, much more this year than I would have last year. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so the Bulldogs, and then also, more importantly, I guess, <laughs> uh, my wife and I. Well, are it's a big deal house though. Hunting. What? Not to interrupt that big news, yeah. but it's a big deal because. It's been, what, 41 years since we've won? 41 years. The last time was 1980. Yeah. So I was born two years later. Yeah. I did some mental digging, and and, uh, I told Matt a couple days ago, my grandpa was uh, his age. Your grandpa was whose age? Yours. When the dogs. grandpa was my age last time they won. Yep. And I was two years from existence last time they won. Yep. But that's funny. Because when Elijah, we let him and Judah stay up for the game, Ezra crashed out. Elijah's my oldest. When we went to bed, he said, hey, Dad, don't worry. This is my first time watching him win a national championship, too. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it won't be our last. <laughs> yep. So. so maybe Elijah will be my age next time they win. Yeah, I know. And other things along those lines. We're going to go to the parade tomorrow. So I was telling my dad last night on the phone, I was like, you know, it could be an Hopefully not, but it could be another 41 years. <laughs> so I want to make sure Enjoy it. that we uh, take it in. <laughs> there you go. So you had other big news, and I other interrupted big news. you. What was that? Um, we're house hunting. Oh, <laughs> um, exciting. Yes. We're like seriously house hunting now. As opposed, as opposed to, to before, we were like looking at houses. Zillowing and, it. Zillowing and yeah. But now we have an actual real estate agent, which is So like big you're deal. big time. Uh, yeah. Like we're, that's we're how you know. Shots. That's how you know you've made it when you're like, I'll have my real estate agent be in touch. I got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> or I got a gal. Yeah. That's that's interesting because two days ago we were completely still in the mode of not, you know, looking around but not like seriously if something You comes were window along, shopping. Ready to buy it. Yeah, you were window you know? shopping. But then like the next day we got pre approved for our loan and then like So are there a lot of half million dollar homes? Where we're at that you're looking at? There's a lot where we're at, not that I'm looking at. Oh, okay. No. Just checking. It's an interesting time to buy for anyone out there who's trying to buy a house. It's we, been it's it's been a great time to sell and a horrible time to buy. Right. Right now there's a lot of sellers, but there's not enough sellers to satisfy the amount of buyers. And so No. We have friends that they put their house on the market and started just because home values have been skyrocketing and yeah so they put their house on the market they're like you know what we're not going to get this much for our house again let's sell and then they started looking for something to buy mm-hmm. and they anything within their price range they couldn't find it was it was all yeah less than what they already lived in and they so then they came out of their contract and they were like you know what we're just going to stay here yeah because everything else is way more expensive a lot of people are selling but then you're losing it all right either buying or building right it's been a, a seller's market for sure. Yeah, stuff goes up, and within hours, it's got told my a dozen mom. offers. Yeah, I told my mom, I was like, we're going to sell our house and just live with you for a couple of years. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all drive each other crazy. <laughs> Shout out to Gigi, by the way. Hey, Gigi. Hey, Gigi. So that's exciting. You're officially an adult. Yes. Welcome to the real world. Yep. Well, I am into snow. Snow? Yeah, I'm into snow. So we live in the armpit of Georgia, where there's not a whole lot of snow. And by Harry that, I mean I mean affectionately, <laughs> the armpit of Georgia. Yeah. But the, there's there's not a whole lot of snow here. And so Elijah has seen snow when we lived in North Georgia. It would snow up there. But he doesn't really remember it because he was like two when we left. And then Ezra and Judah have never seen snow. So there is this weekend snow in the forecast for North Georgia 100%. up in the mountains. 
Yeah, they're saying between three to five inches or three to six inches. Mm-hmm. So I think Monday, Tip and the boys are out of school, and I think we're going to drive up there in the truck and ride around the snowy mountains and let the boys see and experience snow. Yeah. So that'll be fun. We'll be. We mentioned on here before, we like to go on road trips, so that'll be something that the boys can do and enjoy. I remember in uh, college, I went to college down in Savannah. I guess I've mentioned that before. Did you get a lot of snow there? We got snow one time. Yeah. It was like, it was a couple, I mean, it was probably three or four years ago, but it was crazy because I had grown up all my life going down to Savannah all the time. And to see that place with snow in it was just weird. Yeah. Because you got palm trees and you got the city and it's it's just, you know, it's just a tropical paradise, paradise, oasis. Yeah. You know, that day it was a snow globe. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that'll be fun though. Well, speaking of snow, Canada gets a lot of snow. They get way more snow. But you know what else Canada has? They have pastors that are being forced to have a backbone now. Mm, How is that? Bill C-4. And what is Bill C-4? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. All right. Um, So today's topic is on biblical sexuality and gender. And the reason that we've come up with this is there's a, a guy that I follow up there. His name's Joe Boot. And they have gotten... I want to say coalition of pastors together, and they're requesting that pastors from the pulpit this Sunday, which would be today if you're listening, to preach on biblical sexuality and gender in Canada and then elsewhere. And so there's been some bigger name guys that have got on board. John MacArthur's put out a statement that they're going to do it and all that. But they just want pastors to unite and to to preach on biblical sexuality and gender. And so this is our homage to that. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about that. But before we jump into biblical sexuality and gender, I want to give some background on the C4 bill, what it is, what it says, and why it matters. It matters to us because Canada is a North American country, and we're not too far behind Canada as far as culture goes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that would like to see us look just like Canada uh, in our country today. And so we want to talk about what's going on there and hopefully learn from that as well. So let's jump into it. Bill C4, what is it? It's a bill on conversion therapy. You know what conversion therapy is? Well, I have seen it portrayed in TV shows and movies. So now we would say, as the Locust and Honey podcast, that we are against conversion therapy as it truly is, but not as it's become. Right. So conversion therapy initially was they were using Electroshock therapy and stuff like that. Different things to, to try to shock people and all of that. We would disagree with that. But we would also disagree with the new definition of what conversion therapy is. And this bill kind of helps give clearer explanation into that. So in the preamble of the bill, they say an attempt to change someone's sexual desire to a predetermined idea of what is right or true. So an example, normative biblical understanding of sexuality and gender, right? What we as Christians would believe to be how God created us. They would say sexual conversion is an attempt to change someone's sexual desire to this predetermined idea of what is right and wrong. And they would say that that is based, it's based on and propagated by myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. They would say this includes the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and expression are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. So what they're saying is, 
if you hold to the idea that the Bible is true, which Christians have for as long as we've been the church, Mm -hmm. that that's conversion therapy, basically. Because what we're doing is we're holding to the myth that heterosexuality, the fact that men desire women and women desire men, uh, if we hold to that, if we hold to the idea that we're cisgender, that we are and identify with the gender that we were born, then that's that's a myth. And the fact that that, that is preferred over other sexual orientations, genders, identities, and gender expressions, uh, it's, it's all just a myth. And, and so they're directly coming after God's word in this, and they're coming after the church with this because of how they worded it and identified it and all of that. So what this does is this puts a lot of people in a place where they have to really count the cost mm-hmm. to follow Christ. Uh, a pastor that preaches on biblical sexuality or gender from the pulpit could, according to this new law— he could be arrested for up to two years for conversion therapy. You know, yeah. Um, a parent, if their child comes to them and says that they want to transition, they were born male and they want to transition to female. If a parent stands in their way, then they could also uh, lose their child and be arrested for up to two years. So this affects a whole lot of people. Uh, a surgeon, if an adult comes to them and says, hey, I had a transition surgery when I was a teenager and now I want to get that reversed. If a surgeon does that reversal, they could also, according to this bill, be arrested for conversion therapy. So it's a very wide blanket statement on what they mean, and it affects a lot of people. Yeah, I was encouraged, though, when I was listening to Joe Boot and his podcast, the pastors that he was talking to, the people he was talking to, they were willing to stand on the Word of God. And they said, the way they put it, they were willing to be the battering ram on this and standing on the Word of God. But They wanted to make sure that the people in their church knew what God's Word said and adequately fed Mm -hmm. to be able to make a stand as well. Because it's not just going to affect pastors. It's going to affect everybody that claims to be a Christian. Because the government's not going against pastors. The government is going against biblical ideology. Right. You know, so their stand is against God, saying that what they know to be true is true. And if you don't believe that and get in line, then they're going to now arrest you for up to two years for Mm -hmm. for disagreeing because you're now doing conversion therapy on people. Right. So let's get into it. Yeah. Let's look at biblical sexuality and gender. Where would you go to start this? Well, I think we have to go to the beginning. We have to go to Genesis. Did you know that Genesis created beginning? I did. Wow. Did you plan that? No, but... Um, You're witty. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go go there. Uh, Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. I'm going to skip ahead to day 6. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then skipping down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Then, looking at Genesis chapter 2, God creates man, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and he becomes a living creature. 
And then in verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. All right, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Uh, then skipping ahead, he couldn't find a suitable helper. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he was asleep, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And that rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What we see here is we see God's established order, that he creates man and woman, and he creates them for a purpose, and that purpose is that they are created in his own image. Going back to verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is important because we see that man and woman together are created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. It's not man alone. Uh, he saw man alone and said that it's not good for him to be alone. He needs a suitable helper. And so he created woman to come alongside and to help Adam. And then them together in that union are a visible representation of who God is. We talked about the second commandment violation, creating an image and worshiping mm -hmm. it. And we talked about how we're not to create any other images. But one thing that stood out to me here is that God has created one image of himself. So Christ was a visible representation of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But man was also created in God's image. And so when we create something else, we're saying that we're not a good enough representation of who God is. Mm -hmm. We should be. the Because of the fall of sin, we're a marred image of who God is. But the church is a visible representation of who God is to the culture around us. The church is the body of Christ, and we are that visible image of God. Yeah. Uh, people can see us, and they can see God's love and charity and mercy and justice, and they can hear God's truth and all of that from the church. That's the only image that God has ordained. Everything else is through the Word. He reveals himself completely through Word, except through now the church, mm -hmm. uh, but humanity. We were created in his image, male and female. And so we have this idea that God is creating us and that he doesn't mess up because God looks at his creation in verse 31 of Genesis 1, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God creates everything and looks at it and it was created good and exactly how God desired it to be created. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I was talking to the youth about the other day is that when God made us, he made us exactly how he desires us to be. In Ephesians chapter four, I think it says that we are God's workmanship prepared for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we mm -hmm. walk in them. So when God made us, he made us specifically for a purpose and he does not desire us to look to others on how we should be, but to look to his word and to look to him. You know, he's given all of us a job. He's given all of us gifts, and we have different strengths and different weaknesses. But God created us for his purpose, and so that's ultimately for our good and his glory, right? So if my nose were able to talk and it said, hey, Matt, I'm really upset because I can't see, I wouldn't be like, well, you need to fix that, you know? Yeah. I would understand that my nose has a, a job and a responsibility and was created to do exactly what it's doing. And that as long as it can smell, 
then my nose is doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I guess bring oxygen into my body and all that stuff too. Yeah. But my nose and my eye were created differently for the purpose of what their role is. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with us as individuals, but then also us as male and female. We were created for a purpose. So when we decide that while God created me male, and ultimately the decision, the argument is not that God created me, but it's through evolution. Mm -hmm. You know, the argument most of the time comes through evolution. So they're not saying that God messed up. They're just saying that we're plasma that's evolved into humanity. And so some of it is male, but you don't have to identify as male. You can choose to be a female or non-binary, you know? But according to God's word, what we're doing is we're saying that while God created me perfectly for the purpose in which he's called me, I don't submit to God's authority. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be what God's created me to be. I want to be something else. So there's a lot of problems with that. Same thing goes with not just gender, but sexuality. If I can decide who I'm attracted to or... If, if I decide that I'm going to be, I was just created this way, then the problem is I'm saying that what God has declared is not true. Right. So we see from, even from Genesis, the purpose of mankind was for a husband to find a wife. They become one flesh and they leave their mother and father, become one flesh, and then they have children. And all of that is because... Mankind has been given authority over the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so the purpose of man is to be the visible display of God's glory in the world. We exist for his glory. That's what we're here for, is to glorify God. Yeah, I think that what—and we'll get into this a little bit later on, but we live in God's world, right? God created everything. He created the the heavens and the earth. And then John 1, nothing that is— that exists came through any other way except for through the through God through the Lord. Yeah. And so with that, he has created it his way with his order for his purposes. He set the standard. Right. Yeah. That's inescapable. And what happens is we tend to say, well, I don't believe that. The problem with that is that when you if you believe that, then you forfeit your right to care whether or not you have rights or you forfeit your right to have an opinion on justice yeah. because what's your standard for that? You right. know what I mean? And well, so if I was going to push back on that and say that I was born male, but I have the brain of a female, and so I want to identify as female, mm-hmm. what would your, where would you take me in scripture? Well, I'd take you to Romans 1. Okay. Because why, why would you take me there? So Romans 1, it says that we suppress the truth. Okay. Um, it says that the Lord has made himself clear to all men, well, people. Right. Right. Mankind. What happens when we say, well, I don't believe that, is we're suppressing the inner knowledge that the Lord has given us already because we were made in his image. Yeah. So scripture clearly teaches us that God makes us male and female. Right. So I'm, we catechized the boys and one of the questions that we went through the other day was how and why did God create us? And Elijah and Ezra both said, God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. So the question, how and why did God create us? And the answer is God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him which is kind of what we looked at in Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. God's creating us. He creates us male. He creates us female. These are different genders, and these genders have different roles, and they serve different purposes. Right. But together, 
we are the image of God and our purpose is to bring him glory. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see for humanity in all of scripture. We're created male, we're created female in his image for his glory. Mm-hmm. And we can reject that and face the wrath of God, or we can embrace that and show God's glory to those around us. Right. Those are the two options. So when we're defining biblical sexuality or biblical gender, both are found in that idea that God's created us and a man joins with a woman for the purpose of raising a family. And ultimately, we see they're teaching them the truth of God's word. They're teaching them to love and serve God. Deuteronomy 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall bind these truths on your... Hand in your head. Yeah. Put them on your hands, put them on your forehead, put them on the post of your houses. So we should be raising our children in the admonition of the Lord. We should be saturating them with the truth of God's word, to know his law, to love his law, and to seek after him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's... God's given us family as a blessing. And part of that is raising our children up to know and worship him so that they can also display the glory of God in their own families one day. Mm-hmm. And and so that's why we're here. So like if we ask what is the big meaning of life, the big meaning of life for humanity is to display the glory of God to those around us. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate meaning of life. Then we get into, okay, well then why is this breaking down? And that's where we go to Romans yeah. because Romans shows us what that breakdown looks like. And the problem with the LGBTQ plus community is We have a breakdown of God's established order. It starts with saying, did God really make me like this? Mm -hmm. We question God. We question, what has God really said? Going to Romans 1, exactly what you said, we see, for the wrath of God, which is what you read at the beginning, is revealed from heaven against all unholiness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So all of this starts with a suppression of God's truth. The Bible is very clear on God's word. It's very clear on sexuality, it's very clear on gender, then what happens is we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And God explains, for what can be known about him is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things." So basically, instead of worshiping the creator, they're they're worshiping the creation. Whether that's self, whether that's something else, we're we're worshiping something lesser than who God is. Mm -hmm. And so when we do that, it just shows that we've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. When you look at the heart of the LGBTQ plus community, that's what we're dealing with is this suppression of truth. And when we go back to the the C4 bill, it's the same thing. It's a suppression of this truth because what they're saying is that this includes the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender and identity and expression are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, genders, identities, and gender expressions. And it's not that they're to be preferred. It's that that's how we were created. We were created male and female to unite together and to glorify God. Anything else doesn't bring him glory. When we suppress that truth, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and then they worship the creation rather than the creator. Mm -hmm. So what does God do to When that happens in a society, what does God do? Well, um, he lets them go. He lets them go into, right. So what are some areas he gives them up in? Um, 
So starting in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. 26, verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And in 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that's where our culture's at. Yeah. Uh, the culture is whole, and there's a lot of Christians that fall right there. Do they know God's decree and those that practice such things deserve to die? They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so part of the plus in the LGBTQ, uh, a lot of the people that are proponents of this might not identify as any of the letters, but they fall in the plus because they are the ones that are giving approval to those that practice them. While I don't feel that way, I feel like they should have a right to be able to do that. Which goes back to the question, uh, a right by what standard? Right. If it's by God's standard, what God's word says is that we are all without excuse. That's where the Christian has to take a stand on this. And mm -hmm. the church hasn't taken a stand on this. We've let the culture be the ones to primarily speak into what is right and what is wrong. And that's what the C4 bill in Canada is doing is they're trying to speak as a government, here's what we declare to be right and wrong, but by what standard do we make that declaration? You know, if I'm going to arrest somebody and I'm going to take away their freedom, what standard am I doing that? And ultimately the standard is that they're not worshiping the God of the people. You know, they're not worshiping the science or they're not worshiping uh, what the culture declares to be right and wrong, even though culture in this last decade has flipped on its head and what we knew to be right and wrong 15, 20, 100 years ago is no longer right and wrong. You know, we have a, a new definition of what it is to be right and a new definition of what it is to be wrong. But as Christians, we stand on God's word because we understand that God's word is true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's unchanging and it's for every culture because we were all created by God. So even in a thousand years from now, God, if, you know, if the Lord hasn't returned and God's still creating people in a thousand years from now, they're still just as bound to his law as we are today mm -hmm. or as Adam and Eve were when they were the first ones created. He's created us all in his image for his glory. And if we suppress that truth and unrighteousness, then we're going to face the wrath of God. He's going to give us up to these different things. And what we've seen in the culture today, not just in America, but around the world, we're not the only country that's facing this. We're a culture of people who have suppressed the truth of God and unrighteousness. And what we're experiencing is God's wrath. And so what needs to happen is, as we're experiencing God's wrath, the church needs to have a strong backbone and the church needs to take a stand on God's word and proclaim, thus saith the Lord, 
so that people can hear and and be drawn to that mm-hmm. you know well that's that's the key to it all is the question by what standard because kind of like what I was saying earlier was if you don't have a standard to stand on mm-hmm. then what you're doing is you're borrowing from the actual standard in order to right. have anything to stand on. You know what I mean? I to mean, make any claims. So like with the LGBT right. community, what do you mean there? So apply that. To- there is a the whole the whole idea, right? The whole point of the LGBTQ plus community is to. I mean, it's a community one, so mm-hmm. there's a group of like-minded individuals. Right. But the th- like the agenda is to seek. Um, there's like a longing for justice there. There's a longing equality. for equality there. Uh-huh. And what I'm saying is, those are two terms that require the biblical standard to exist. Without the biblical standard, what is the standard by which those things have meaning? You know. So, what would the biblical standard be? In regards to the LGBTQ plus community, well, the biblical standard would be, um, so like, what do you mean by that? So like, well, when you're saying for the biblical standard to apply, mm-hmm. it applies to that. What would that biblical standard be? Well, what I mean by saying that it like that it applies is what the longing for for them for those in that community equality, is. right? Okay, but what would God's word say? How would God's word say that they are or are not equal? Because they're fellow image bearers of God. All right. So if I am a gay male and I'm trying to get married Mm -hmm. to another man, why can't I do that according to the Bible? Because marriage is clearly defined in scripture as between a man and a woman. Okay. Their mother and father. Right. Becoming What about if I'm a born male and transitioned to female? Why can't you accept that as a Christian? Because God or why cre- don't you? Because when God created you, he created you as a man for his purposes. You're his workmanship created mm-hmm. for good works. Right? And men are created different than women. Yes, right. Yeah. So going back to like talking through this, if we look at why is gay marriage, we want equality in marriage, mm-hmm. right? We as Christians go back to our standard. What is the standard is the question that we're asking God's standard is what? So, what is the purpose of marriage? Why do we get married? Oh, we get married because number one, man and woman together reflect the image of God. Right. Right. Also, it's a reflection of the gospel. You've got Mm -hmm. gospel imagery there between the bride being the church and the bridegroom being Christ. You've got marriage because for the purposes of procreation. Right. Yeah. Well, I I think those are three great examples. Yeah. And so, if we understand the reason that we're getting married is to glorify God, to be mm-hmm. uh, a visible representation of who God is and Christ and his relationship with the church, and for the purpose of establishing a family and raising them up in the admonition of the Lord. If we're violating his word to do that, then it's no longer a marriage because God has set a standard for what it means to be married, mm-hmm. and He's he's defined that covenant. So then if a male and a male want to get married, they're no longer getting married. They're entering into this agreement outside of what God's established, his created order, you Mm -hmm. know? And then likewise, for gender and gender identity, it's the same thing. God's created us, and he's created us for different roles, so he's created us differently. 
Right. And if I'm a male and desire to be a female, I, I can't just decide that myself because right. I didn't create myself. Mm-hmm. And so I was created differently. And, um, and in that men are the pastors of the home. They're the leaders of the family. They are in authority and women are in a submissive role. They're in a supportive role to the husband. And, and that's how God created us and designed us. And for me to say, I no, no longer want to do that. I'm going against God's created order. Mm-hmm. And therefore God gives them up because they've rejected God's created order for their own order. And ultimately because we aren't the creator, our order brings forth disorder. Right. Anytime that we try to establish order apart from God, it brings disorder. And the reason for that is because he is the one that created us and he set the standard. If we choose not to abide by his standard, then we do face his wrath because he has shown us how to live mm-hmm. and, and it's ultimately for our good. So when we step outside of that, it brings destruction and chaos right. into the picture, which is where we're at in, at in our society today. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people that have stepped outside of that and there's a lot of destruction and there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of people listening to what's being said and just saying, this makes no sense to me. Right. You know, I I don't understand this. So what's the biblical response to our current culture today? Well, the biblical response is to cry out and call for repentance. I would say, number one, by what standard? And then if it's God's standard, then we have to go back to the scriptures and say, okay, what what do the scriptures say? Right? Because the scriptures are God's word. The word of God is, he's revealing his standard to us, you right. know? And so because of that, we have got to realize and understand that we've decided as a culture to stop submitting to the word of God, to the standard. Right. And so because of that, we've created chaos. I would say that the response would be a call to ask ourselves Am I thinking through the fact that the word of God is the standard and there is no other? Mm-hmm. And if the word of God is the standard and there is no other, then that's where I've got to go right. in order for me to understand what sexuality ought to look like, what gender ought to look like, what everything ought to look like. Right. Because the scripture speaks to everything. So that's... That's kind of what I think would be a good um, start. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you keep reading in Romans 2, it talks about, so in verse 4 it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And, and so what he's saying is God is long-suffering, for the purpose of repentance. Mm-hmm. What we need to do as the church, first and foremost, is we need to repent. Right. We need to repent of our sin, and we need to repent on behalf of our society because ultimately our society's gotten here because the church has been silent. When we have a culture that's gotten here, we're going to face the wrath of God, which is, I, I think, what we've been experiencing for the last couple of years now is God's wrath revealed against us as a nation. And, and 
one of the ways that God reveals his wrath is in tyrannical leadership. Another way that God reveals his wrath is through plagues and pestilence and all of that. And, um, and then Natural like disasters, yeah. I mean, yeah. And then, and then what we saw here in Romans one, God gives them up to lust of their heart and purity, dishonoring their bodies among themselves. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. God gives them up to dishonorable passions. Their women change natural relations for those that are contrary and men likewise. And then God gives them up to a debased mind to do evil. And then he lifts off covetous malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The things that we're facing in our culture are a byproduct of God giving us up. And and so the church needs to be the light of Christ in the community around us. All right, so a good example of that would be, let's say that you were a dermatologist. Mm-hmm. And a patient comes in and you look at a mole and you think, man, that's not a typical looking mole. I think... Uh, I think that that's probably cancerous. But because you want to avoid an awkward conversation or maybe bring pain to that person, you just tell them, you look good, go have a, you know, live your life, have fun, enjoy it. One, that's not loving. And two, that's not you caring about the patient. Because if you truly care about the patient, you're going to say, hey, this looks atypical. We need to get this checked out. Let's cut it off. Let's biopsy it. Let's do whatever we need to do and take care of the problem. Even though that might be an uncomfortable conversation or it might be painful or it might be hurtful or offensive. That's what the church needs to be. We need to love lost people because Christ has loved us. So when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, the church needs to be loving but we need to be biblically loving. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is not loving. So when they're seeking equality, because we love them, we have to speak the truth of God's word to them. Uh, We have to let them know what God's word says, and what they're saying lines up with Romans 1 and not with Genesis 1. So as Christians, we shouldn't hate the LGBTQ plus community. We don't need to, well, that's somebody that I just completely disagree with, so I'm just not going to speak to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I don't want to speak up against this because it could be found offensive or it could be found hurtful or it could be found hate speech or whatever it might be. Conversion therapy, you know, because we love people, if we see skin cancer, we want to let them know that's what it is and here's the cure. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be light and we're called to be salt. So so we need Christians with backbone that are willing to take a stand on God's word and proclaim, thus saith the Lord, to the culture. Because the culture is perverse and the culture is wicked and the culture has been darkened and our eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. We have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and we are worshiping the creature rather than the the creator. Yeah, I mean, kind of, again, going back to what we said in podcasts previous, where if we are worshiping the Lord as he ought to be worshiped, then we're going to love our neighbor as they ought to be loved. Right. Ultimately, what we have to do is we've got to understand God's holiness. We've got to understand God's, his righteousness, his standard. And in that is both the, I guess, uh, condemnation of the law and the good news of the gospel right yeah the fact that we none of us on none of us can attain that standard 
you know? Right. Um, and that's the good news of the gospel, that Christ came and fulfilled the law. Mm-hmm. And so, and but— To, to kind of right. go off of that, though, part of that is there has to be repentance, mm-hmm. you know? We've talked about this before, but if I just tell somebody, okay, you—if I'm fighting for equality for somebody and they've not repented of that sin— there can't be forgiveness mm-hmm. without without repentance because Christ doesn't just accept us in our sin. He, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, but there has to be that repentance. There has to be that turning from sin mm-hmm. and turning to Christ. That's all part of that heart of stone becoming a heart of flesh. Right. So if we're offering somebody love without repentance, if we're just saying, I accept you for who you are, I view you to be a good person, you have a good heart, you know, I just accept you as you are, whatever you, however you want to identify, however you want to be categorized, I accept that. Then what we're doing is we're condemning that person because right. we're not giving them the truth of the gospel and the truth of the gospel is repent and believe, mm-hmm. you know? So we as Christians can't forget that. So like if you're listening to this and you are part of the LGBTQ plus community or You've been kind of wrestling with that. God's word says that we are all sinners, every single one of us. We all seek self over Christ. But it also says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. God knew that we were going to be born into sin. And because of that, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Christ was 100% God, 100% man. He fully fulfilled all of the law. And when he died, he died as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He died as that perfect atonement. And those of us that put our faith in him are then atoned under the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. He's our propitiation is the big word. He takes our guilt and gives us his holiness and righteousness. Mm -hmm. And then we stand right before God because of the work of Christ. Right. So if there is somebody that's in that community— we need to repent of our sin, we need to turn to Christ, and we need to believe in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if there's somebody who's in the church and we're thinking, well, I don't want to be mean or hateful, the worst thing that you can do, the most mean thing that you can do is not speak the truth of Christ in love. Mm-hmm. I saw a thing the other day that said Christ called us not to be right but to be loving. And while I get the sentiment in that, I, I would disagree. Christ called us to speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. You know, so we need to know the truth and we need to speak the truth, but we need to do it lovingly. Right. The emphasis isn't just on loving and accepting everybody. The emphasis is on speaking the truth out of a pure heart, out mm-hmm. of a loving heart. And, and part of that is being willing to have hard conversations that need to be had for the purpose of repentance, you know, right. uh, which is what Romans 2 is saying. God's long-suffering for the purpose of repentance. We don't need to support the LGBT community in their fight for equality. We need to support them biblically in speaking the truth and love to them Mm -hmm. and letting them know that we care and walking beside of them and and being faithful to be the the mouthpiece of Christ Mm -hmm. in their life. Yeah. So I I hope that that's helpful. We want to encourage you and challenge you to be vocal in the culture today. We need vocal Christians with a backbone that know God's word and are speaking the truth of God's word to the culture around us. 
that's kind of why we started this whole thing in the first place is mm. to be able to do that. Don't forget to pray for the pastors in Canada, pray for the churches in Canada, pray for the Christians in Canada, and pray for the government in Canada uh, yeah. and ours as well. Because to say that, well, that's happening there and that could never happen here is not true. <laughs> yeah. But with all of that said, we love you guys. Hope you have a good Lord's Day and we will see you next week. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.